there is a good chance that we will be back together, worshiping together again in the next couple of weeks. And as we prepare to do so, it's important to think about our expectations. When you come to worship on a Sunday morning, what do you expect to happen? Now please notice I said come to worship, not come to church. Because the building is not the church, we are the church. And on Sundays, the church gathers in this building to worship God. Describing what we do as coming to worship versus coming to church helps us properly shape our expectations because when we focus on worshiping God, our attention shifts. And the service then is not about us, it's about humbling ourselves before the creator of heaven and earth. It's about experiencing his presence. It's about the comfort of being reminded of his forgiveness. It's about letting his spirit wash over us and embrace us. Now, I think many of us understand this, but, but there's a part that I think we sometimes miss. How can we, as mere mortals, do this and not be changed by the experience? How can we sing to God and pray to God and explore the word of God and share in communion which was given to us by God and not be changed? If we're not changed in some way, then perhaps it's because we're coming to church rather than coming to worship. Because worship always is an invitation to be changed by God. Through worship, you and I are transformed by the God who made us and who loves us and who always wants the best for us. And so this is not change that we should fear or resist. This is change we eagerly should embrace. Yet this means we cannot approach worship as a comfortable routine. Instead, we should approach it with the expectation that it will be a transformational encounter with the living God. And that's how the Apostle Paul describes it in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now it's true that what Paul describes here can happen individually, we certainly can worship and be refreshed during our own personal times of devotion. Yet spiritual renewal and transformation always happens best in community because every person in God's family plays a unique part in that family. And we all have different skills and abilities and passions and insights. So one of the greatest spurs to growth is when our lives bump up against the lives of others who are different from us. You and I have the best opportunity to experience what Paul describes here when we make worshiping together a priority. And now, because worship is the gateway to transformation, 
Paul does not simply suggest that worship is important. He urges us to worship. And that word urge is very strong in the original Greek text. Paul is pleading with us and imploring us and begging us to not worship in a cavalier fashion. And he makes this point with a vivid image. Just as the Jewish people would bring a sacrificial animal to the altar to be completely consumed by fire, Paul wants each of us to offer our whole self to God in worship. Our body, our mind, our will, and our attitude. And the reason for this whole-hearted, whole-self-worship is God's mercy. We're sinful people, so we deserve God's judgment, yet he chooses not to pass sentence on us. Instead, when we put our trust in Jesus, Jesus, who died on the cross for us, God mercifully forgives us and offers us new life. What an amazing and undeserved gift. Can we respond to that gift with awe-filled worship? Can we offer our lives completely to the God who offered his life completely for us? If so, then as we offer ourselves to God through worship, he will lead us into an ongoing process of transformation, according to Paul. God continually desires to renew your mind and mine so that our lives continually reflect his will. And that word renew is fascinating. In the original Greek, the word renew in verse 2 means to be made new in nature and in character on an ongoing basis. Our renewal and our transformation is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong process. What Paul writes here gets to the very heart of what it means to worship rather than just go to church. We don't worship simply to acquire ever more knowledge about God and the Bible. We worship so that God actually changes us. We yield to him so that he changes the way we think and the way we live. Because if we're not actually transformed, then we won't experience what Paul describes here. Instead of doing the will of God, we follow the pattern of the world. Here's a vivid and painful example. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus tells us that peacemakers are the children of God. Not peace breakers, but peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, Jesus lays out a process for resolving disagreements between believers. Why? So we can live together in peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says we should make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, building unity and making peace should be a top priority for believers. And this picture is clearly painted throughout the Bible. God wants us to live in peace with each other, which means then that we fix our broken relationships. And we resolve our disagreements so that we can be reconciled to one another. God wants to heal our relationships so we don't live in brokenness. Yet so often, we fail to take advantage of his invitation. 
And it's one of the fundamental failings of every church I've ever been part of. And so instead of pursuing peace and unity, we gossip and we criticize. We hear information secondhand and thirdhand and we pass it on without verifying it. And we don't follow Jesus' plan and make efforts to reconcile. Instead, we sow disunity and discord and division. What's really sad is that the things Christians often fight over are secondary matters that have little to do with our mission. You think this might break God's heart? You think it might break his heart to watch us break down our community over things that have nothing to do with God's desire to help spiritually lost people become followers of Jesus? If we live like that, then then clearly we're following the pattern of the world rather than embracing the will of God. So why do we do it? We do it because we've not responded to God's invitation to be transformed. We've not worshipped him as living sacrifices and as a result our character and our nature are not continually being renewed. This means we're not experiencing the fullness of the new life that Jesus wants for us. We're not experiencing the new life through the Spirit that transforms us individually and transforms the way we live together in the family of God. We as believers so routinely fail in this area of life, which means we need to take Paul's admonition seriously. The more that you and I yield to God through wholehearted worship, the more than that we'll be able to live out what we know to be true. And then your life and my life will demonstrate the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Why would we want to settle for anything less than that? Why do we settle for less than God's best? Pride. Pride is the foundational sin of humanity. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to think they did not need to follow God's commands. Pride caused them to act independently and selfishly as if they knew what was best for them more than God did. They paid a huge price for their lack of humility and so do we when we ignore our creator. And that's why in verse 3, Paul tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. In other words, let's practice some humility. And yet we need to recognize it doesn't occur naturally. We only can develop humility if we yield to God through worship and allow ourselves to be invited into his ongoing process of transformation. And it's so tragic, but this is a lesson we keep failing to learn. And so men and women have been following in the prideful pattern of Adam and Eve throughout human history. Pride is a universal problem. And pride is what drives most of our conflicts in marriages and in family relationships and in friendships and in a church. What happens when we disagree? Pride kicks in. And so far too often we put the need to win and the need to be right 
ahead of the need to find common ground so we can be reconciled and live in peace. And here's an example. We live in an anxious and divided society. We are fearful of people and sometimes even angry at people whose views differ from ours politically and economically. And right now we're fearful of people and sometimes angry at people whose views differ from ours about how to respond to the pandemic. This is tragic because we are in a unique time when the entire world is battling a common enemy. We ought to be more united than ever. Yet we are more divided than ever. And so much of our division is driven by pride. We need to remember that COVID-19 is called a novel coronavirus for a reason. It's novel because it's new. No one has ever seen this before or dealt with this before. It means we were clueless at the start. And our understanding continually is evolving. Even our experts don't always agree. All they can do is offer their best advice in the moment. And that advice sometimes later turns out to be wrong. And that's to be expected when our world is dealing with something brand new. Here's the challenge though. When I hear so many people speak about this, when I read so many posts on social media, so many people express their views with total conviction that they are right, that they have the answers, that their approach is the one we all should follow. That's that's pride, not humility. And pride is what so often stirs us up and provokes conflict. I think we all would be better served if we all followed Paul's advice about humility. Let's not think too highly of ourselves and our opinions. Let's be gracious toward those whose views differ because nobody has this all figured out. Here's a great metaphor for our current situation. It's like we're trying to cross a river that no one has ever crossed. And in order to cross that river, we must design and build a new kind of bridge that no one ever has built. And because the situation is urgent, we're pressed for time. And this means we're trying to cross the bridge at the very moment that we're trying to design and build the bridge. It's a situation that cries out for some humility. This means the willingness to listen to one another. And that can happen, and that will happen, if we embrace Paul's advice and yield ourselves to God in worship. Because God can transform the way we think, the way that we live. And as he transforms us, he can take away our fear and anxiety and replace it with peace. He can take away our pride and replace it with humility. He can transform us so that our lives reflect his will rather than the pattern of the world. He can transform us so that we can live together in unity, replacing peace-breaking with peace-making. We're going to have the opportunity to put this into practice in the very near future.
Because when we return to worship in the next few weeks, it won't look the same. And that's because we will be trying to do our part to minimize the spread of this novel virus. We're going to take some specific steps to help protect those in our church family who are most at risk. And we're doing this because our goal is the same one we've had since the beginning of the pandemic. We want to prayerfully exercise both faith and prudence. We won't get it exactly right because no one can. So let's be patient with each other and gracious with each other and promote unity in the bond of peace. Unity as we come together to worship. I want to read Paul's words one more time for us to hear and ponder and consider. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. As I consider these words, here's what occurs to me. I find myself wondering what might your life and my life look like if we really take Paul's teaching to heart. How might our church family life be different if we really take Paul's teaching to heart? I'd love to find out. And we can. We can if we don't just come back to church. Instead, let's come back to worship. To worship and be transformed by our loving God. Let's embrace His good, pleasing and perfect will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will that invites us to live with humility so that we can worship and serve together in peace.